0: You're listening to the Master Photography podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me in the co-host chair today is Connor Hibbs. Connor, so good to have you with me.
1: Yeah, super excited to be here um, after... It's always a long time, but hopefully that'll <laughs> change here soon.
0: Hey, Connor's <laughs> been super busy going back to school and kind of making a bit of a pivot in his career and just glad you could carve out a few minutes to talk. Yeah, to yeah, absolutely.
1: It's, it. My schedule is starting to free up at least a little bit. I, I tend to not be the kind of person that lets free space sit there in my schedule, but I'm hoping that with some of that space, as I start to fill it, we'll be coming on to the show a bit
0: more right, often. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same. Um, my family <laughs> my family says I never take any downtime.
1: <laughs> I'm always filling I, up with I something. literally, I don't know that I've sat and watched a TV show or movie in seven or eight years without at least a computer to edit on in yeah. front of me. While
0: <laughs> oh, well, I kind of prefer it that way. I like being busy. It keeps me out of trouble, but yeah. yeah. Same. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's get into our topic. Um, this comes. We've talked periodically on the show about white balance. And that's the topic for this episode. Is white balance. Uh, but we've, we've had a lot of people uh, subscribe to the show and, and lots of new listeners who probably haven't gone back and listened to all of those episodes about White Balance. I do try to point them to it. Some of them are old enough. We didn't have like this was back before we did really good show notes. And um, so we, we don't really have that. So I thought, well, I really want to, to post something or have something I can point to that has good show notes. That we can point to as new people come on, the um, you know, the, the become subscribers and are listening to the podcast in the future and answer questions in our Facebook group. So we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it with uh, with some things that are uh, maybe we I'm not sure we've really fully talked about. So uh, I think it's going to be a fun episode. We've had some interest in the Facebook group, and and I'm excited to go through it. So Connor, let's start with. What is white balance? (laughs) I think there, we, you know, there's going to be lots of listeners who already know what this is. They're very, very familiar with white balance. They deal with it constantly. They've learned how to deal with it. Um, but I, I want to start there because we've got lots of, of beginning photographers, people just getting started into this long path towards mastering photography. Uh, they don't know what this is. They don't even know that they don't know it. <laughs> right. That's, yeah. It's seriously. kind of the thing you, you like, why is this photo all yellow? I don't understand. Why <laughs> is it orange? I don't get it. So, um, so will you just walk through kind of to someone who's starting out what is white balance?
1: Okay, so to not get horribly, horribly technical, but still kind of talk about what white balance is as a concept before we talk about what it is in your camera. um, White balance is, uh, well, I guess it's kind of hard to say one way or the other, but it is the color temperature of a particular light. So color temperature is... Rated in degrees Kelvin, and it can range from a very red-orange color around 1,800 Kelvin to a very blue color around 8,000, 12,000 Kelvin. And in in that, it just kind of depends on what kind of light sources we have. So you might have put in a light bulb in your house that is daylight balanced, quote unquote. And that's very blue versus um, traditional incandescent bulbs are very warm and orange. So our camera setting side of things is the camera setting to try and best expose and make that color temperature, whatever color temperature the light uh, in your scene is um, a neutral white so we try and change the settings on our camera to make that more just a neutral gray rather than looking really orange or really blue right was that
0: decent <laughs> yeah that's that's very decent so color temperatures of light so just to give you kind of a sense for the numbers, and I'll, I'll put a nice little table out in the show notes if you're interested in it. But um, as I've taught this before, this is what I go through with uh, with people as I'm teaching them how to use their cameras. White balance is one of the main lessons that we go through in the course when I, when I do that. And uh, as, as Connor mentioned, Kelvin's is how it's measured, which won't mean anything to most people. But um, candle flames look very orange. Compared yeah. to other things, and that's about one thousand to two thousand. Then you have like indoor household lights. Traditional, it's kind of changing now with LED. There's there's a, a much better chance you have a higher Kelvin. LED than, than we used to have with the uh, the tungsten and halogen light bulbs that we, we used to use a lot more of. Uh, but that's usually kind of really yellow and at 2,500 to 3,500 Kelvins. Sunrise and sunset, we think of those as like golden. And, and that's true. It, it, the, we call it golden hour because of that. It's It's got a golden kind of look to the light that is really appealing, really fun to have. That's like 3,000 to 4,000 Kelvin. Normal midday sunlight or flash is about 5,000 to 6,000. Noonday kind of gets a little bit of a bluish tint, just a touch of a bluish tint. It's more like 6,000 to 6,500. Then you've got cloudy skies and shade. That's a a lot more blue and that's 6,500 to 8,000. And then heavily overcast or like uh, as it's going towards dusk and the sun's setting, you can end up with the blue hour, same with sunrise. It's as the sun's coming up, it's got a very heavy blue cast to it, which is about 9,000 to 10,000 Kelvin. So you don't really have to remember any of that necessarily, unless we're going to talk about custom white balance towards the, the bottom of the show here where you can actually dial in those Kelvins and, and do it. But it it all has an, an effect on the overall lighting in your scene your camera is trying to get to or find in the scene a middle value of all of this. And your camera is trying to get that, the, the tone, it is looking at like the darkest darks and the brightest brights and exposure is what you're thinking of usually when we we talk about that. And that's, that's super critical. But for white balance, it tries to find or look at all of that, find kind of the middle and call that middle gray, make it kind of look gray. And then and, and that's what auto white balance is gonna do. We're gonna talk about that a lot more. So but the whole point is white balance is something that um in order to make the skin tones on portraits, and that's kind of the the biggest reason to care about this, would be portraits. Uh, but you you care somewhat too with like landscapes and if you work so hard to put yourself in a sunrise sunset situation and got up at insane hours of the morning or staying up really late or whatever, you've gone through a lot of effort. You want the light to look like it was. <laughs> you, you don't want that to go to waste. And white balance is is pretty important to contribute to that. So so that's kind of the beginnings of how I explain white balance. Anything else to add there, Connor?
1: No, I, I think as a, a beginning primer to what we're even talking about, that's, that's a pretty solid
0: explanation at okay. this point. All right so uh, so white balance is is pretty important, so Connor, as you go back and as you think about your starting into photography, at what point did you come to realize that white balance was something you needed to care about
1: well yeah so so that's actually a really hard question for me to answer because for a very long time while I was shooting portraits, um, I would just shoot outdoors in natural light Mm -hmm. so i I knew that it was a thing i knew that that was a setting that you had but i didn't really mess around with it all that much um can't really even recall if i was using auto white balance at the time i i I had a cheap low-end camera back in 2008 that didn't necessarily have the best auto white balance feature. So I imagine that I just kind of set it to cloudy and called it good. Um, so it's it's hard for me to really pinpoint when did this start to matter to me beyond once I started using off-camera lighting. I know by that time I started to have a much better understanding of the import of auto white balance and started going into situations where Maybe my white balances didn't match because I was shooting indoors with incandescent bulbs and was using a flash. Um, so I was using corrective gels and things of that sort. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a hard question. Do you have a specific memory of when you started to realize that white balance was important for you?
0: Well, I, and that's kind of why I asked the question, because it seems to me like the the order of things, how you run into it, and maybe everyone's experience is going to be different, which is why I asked you the question too. Yeah. Um Certainly, my my first priority, the first thing I needed to make sure I understood was exposure. That was like, you know, my first attempts at doing some photos with my camera, I, I was taking pictures of my kids. That was the whole reason I got into this. And it's exploded because I just loved it. But, yeah. but I started taking, I was taking pictures from my kids and they were, they were just jumping on beanbags bags. And I was trying to take photos and I couldn't get them sharp. And I'm like, what is wrong with this? So that led me to like, how do I make sure I get, I I get them sharp, even though they're moving and, and that's shutter speed. And there's, there's lots of factors and that, you know, the whole triangle. And so, so that was definitely um, what I knew I needed to fix. First or learn about first and, and master so that I could um, get the images that I was, I was hoping for. Um, and white balance wasn't even a concept at the time. <laughs> it was, that's, yeah. as we were talking about that, it's like, I don't think there's a lot of beginners that even know that they need to know about this. And so, yeah. so it took a while before I got there, and then I, you know, I and I wasn't even into like editing the photos yet either. I didn't know that was something I cared about um, while I was doing it. So exposure was definitely the first priority. Got a little bit into the editing stuff and kind of figured out what what I wanted to do there or how that can help me um, and could hurt me because I over edited for a while for sure. <laughs> Still make that mistake today. And yeah, then, who doesn't? Yeah, and then <laughs> and then you know I think it was at that point, I had exposure down go- uh, decently, enough I could get photos that I wanted. It's pro- still too much spray and pray, but but I had a concept for it. I knew kind of what I could do on the computer in post. And um, and there were those sliders. There's a white balance sliders that, that, that are there in Lightroom. So I knew I had a little bit of capability to deal with this and at some point after that is when I was like, what? I think there's probably something more I could do in camera to address this and get closer. So I don't have so much to do to figure out um, while I'm editing how to get that white balance set. So I think that's when it came into it. And I just think that's helpful for listeners who are, are entering into this to understand kind of um, how it might make sense to, to attack this and learn how to use it and do it. <laughs> um, so what your, was your experience a lot different than that?
1: No, no, no not, not so much. In fact, as you were talking, I had memories that I didn't remember having <laughs> right, right. pop up where I'm like, oh, yeah, I definitely remember taking some photos. And I, I was shooting in JPEG at the time because uh-huh. I didn't know any better right, and right. realized, oh, these are really orange and I can't do anything about that because it just looks horrible as I was playing with sliders and stuff. I, yeah. Um, and, and that was even, you know, pre Lightroom use. Uh-huh. So. Um, I I obviously had some other run ins with this earlier on, but um, yeah, I I still don't recall exactly at what point I started paying attention.
0: And that's one of the challenges, I think, with even learning photography, unless unless you do pay for a course where someone's going to walk you through the things that you need to learn and introduce you to the terms that you need to learn about, so that you can talk it and search it, and you know, find the videos yeah. and and all of that. You may not even know you're like you, it's it's hard to make that connection when you're first starting. With my or, my photo is orange. What do I do about it? And knowing that that is white balance, that that's the solution yeah. to it. And totally. so so we're I'm hoping to connect those dots for listeners, <laughs> and <laughs> and help them in in that aspect. So now that we've we've gone through what white balance is and why photographers might care about it, let's talk about the I broke it down into three primary options. You could probably break it down different ways, but this is how I'm thinking about it. So, so Connor, let's the three options, the the main three options for doing white balance that I I think of there's auto white balance, which every camera by default is set for. That's how it comes um, until you learn enough to know that you might want to change that, which it totally makes sense that that's how it is. Second way would be white balance presets, that are there on your camera, super helpful. And then the third would be custom white balance. So we're gonna kind of break that up into a few options to be able to talk about it. So let's start with auto white balance. And uh, Connor, what what is auto white balance?
1: Auto white balance is a handy feature that a camera has in it to automatically try and select what it thinks the correct white balance is for a scene. Um, it's something that can be really helpful. Honestly, I shoot with auto white balance quite frequently. Um, but especially if you're in mixed lighting situations, I find that sometimes it can get it wrong. So it'll pick the wrong thing in a scene. If I have incandescent bulbs and daylight coming through a window and the primary area that I'm concerned about is closer to that window, um, I, my auto white balance might say, well, the majority of this room is kind of orange, so I'm going to balance for that. And yeah. then the thing that I care about has turned blue. Right. Um, but in other situations, if I'm shooting outdoors and there's kind of intermittent clouds um, where sometimes my light might be a little bit warmer because the sun comes out and then other times it might be a little bit cooler because it goes behind the clouds, it can handle situations where you have pretty consistent lighting across the board really, really well.
0: Sure. Right. Yeah, that, that's a, it's a good point. So as I was explaining just white balance at all and, and how it tries to find like the middle tones and it's setting things up so that, that middle tone looks grayish. That's, that's yeah. how it's trying to guess it. Um, it's just like exposure. Um, if you're using, uh, full auto or maybe even shutter or aperture priority on your cameras, Sometimes the scene you're shooting, your camera just doesn't have a chance of guessing right at what it is you're shooting. You know, it's doing the best it can, but it doesn't know, uh, you know, shooting the moon is a perfect example. Auto exposure is going to really mess that up. It's going to make a a nice bright white orb with no detail (laughs) when you use auto settings for shooting the moon. And um, and the same goes here for like auto white balance. It it's it can do really good, and it's made massive improvements over the years. Those cameras have become much smarter at being able to to guess what the white balance should be pretty accurately. But there's going to be times when it'll make a mistake, like the mixed lighting scenario you just uh, talked about. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's one option. You said we're going to talk about what do we personally do with white balance at the end? So we're going to save that. We're not going to comment yet on (laughs) it, but we're going to save that for what we do at the end. Um, Okay. Then the white balance presets. So that's, you've seen these in the, it's usually in the menus um, to, in the cameras where if you find where the white balance is to take it off of auto white balance, you have a whole bunch of choices and then they're not consistent between the manufacturers about what the choices are named, but it's something along the lines of what I just went through in the white balance values. You've got like household lighting, sunrise flash uh, cloudy skies or shadows, stuff like that where the, the description or the the little icon kind of describes the, the shooting environment you're in. Yeah. And, and it's and, that will set the the white balance to those kelvins cuz it we know what the kelvins are i went through the chart that has the no, the numbers that are there and so you don't have to remember the numbers which is why you know if you're interested in the chart you can take a look but it doesn't really matter and um and and it will just it'll set that and then it's it's just set it's not the camera doesn't do any analysis of the scene at that point it's set to that and it's going to use that white balance cuz you're telling it to use the preset um a pretty decent option for helping in those kinds of scenarios. Now, the the one that you just talked about, Connor, with I'm outdoors. It's mostly overcast, but the sun breaks through occasionally. The, if you're taking a photo when that sun is broken through and the white the light has changed a lot, yeah, it's now going to be wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: Exactly. So, But at the, at the same time, if you're going to be in a scenario where it's pretty consistently going to stay right a certain way, it can be helpful to do that. And it, it can sometimes be just a nice check to have more consistent white balance across the board to use a, a, a setting like this. So auto white balance, even though I'm in the same lighting situation, from photo to photo, it might change just a little bit mm-hmm. what it thinks the proper balance is. So there, there are times where... A person might choose, hey, I'm in pretty consistent lighting here. I'm going to just set my white balance with one of these settings, and then all of my photos will be the same. That way, when I'm editing and syncing settings, I can sync my white balance. Even if I have to correct it, I can sync my white balance a little bit to have a consistency across all of your images in a way that an auto setting's not going to give you.
0: Right, right. So that's a factor to consider. It's super easy to use. It is usually in the menus. So it's, it may not be super easy to get to very consistently, but you know, it doesn't take very long to get through it and figure out where it is so that you can go and set it. Um, I know on um, on the Canon cameras, it's in the Q menu for most of yeah. them, which makes it super easy to get there. Um, I've seen it buried a bit more in some other models, but whatever it is, go you can go find your user's manual. If you've never done this, if you've been on auto white balance the whole time and you want to try this out, then go go uh, dig up your user's manual or just search for it. I bet Google will tell you <laughs> for your camera <laughs> model how you can go and, and get to the white balance presets. So that's pretty good. Okay. Third option. This is the one where we probably need to spend a little bit more time in walking through it. Custom white balance. So I, I, there's kind of, uh, I, I put in here two ways to do custom balance, but there's a, there's a third and that is where I think you might be at Connor, where you just kind of know as you're going to a scene, oh, this is a 6,000 Kelvin scene or something like yeah. that. And and you can go just directly put it in like, here's the Kelvins I want you to use camera and, uh, and it will do it. But and it's a little bit the same for the other two methods. But describe. Let's let's go gray card first. Um, how do how does a gray card work with white balance?
1: Yeah, so, so a gray card is not just any gray card. It right. is a specific photo tool that people can use that has a neutral 50% gray printed on it. Um, I, I personally have a color checker for this that it's a little plastic passport, but they sell literal sheets of cardboard that are this color that you can take a photo of um, filling most of your frame with. And I, I'm only familiar with Canon system in terms of custom white balancing this way, but in Canon, you can take a photo of this card and then go into your menu and say set custom white balance pick the photo that you've taken of this gray card and it will adjust your white balance based on that card to make it a neutral gray so it's a known neutral gray that you then tell your camera hey this is what neutral looks like in this lighting situation set it to that so it's kind of a a, a more specific auto white balance that you set and
0: have locked in right Right. And so to use it, you really, you're supposed to put that gray card. So you, you need someone to hold up the gray card at your subject. That's that's yeah. how it's supposed to work. Um, and we could have this whole discussion about incident versus reflective lighting. And I, I thought about doing that, but it seems a little <laughs> too technical. So I, I'm not going to worry about it. But um, But this works differently than the next one we're going to talk about. And it's because this gray card you put out In the area where you want the white balance to be determined, where the light is falling on your, your, the gray card that you're shooting in. So if you're, if it's a portrait, you hand it to the model and say, hold this for a second. You take a picture and then set the white balance from it. But now, now it's that gray card is sitting in the light that you want the white balance set to. And that's really important. It's not like just stick it out in front of your camera lens uh, a little bit and take the photo. I mean, you can do that and it might happen to work out, but the whole reason to use this is to have it actually be in the light that you're trying to capture so that you get uh, the most accurate kind of white balance that you can. So I've seen people misuse. I I misused it. I I used to just like stick the card up, right, you know, a couple inches. I didn't, couldn't even focus on it, which didn't matter. It's the color and the light that you need. So focus is is not material. I'd stick it up there, take the picture, set the white balance, and then go. And that's it. Can work. It may happen to work. You may be in enough of the same light that it's okay. But you really, to make it fully effective, you hand it to the model. If it's a landscape that's a little different. I don't know. I don't know how you go put the gray card out there in the landscape, but um
1: So this this actually brings up an interesting conversation piece that I, I wasn't expecting to talk about. So All right. I agree with you that um you want you want your gray card to be in the lighting that you're using. So if you're taking portraits, you hand it to the model. Do you actually set your white balance after you have Taking a photo of a gray card in camera, or are you using that photo to just have a neutral gray in that lighting that you then can click on the auto white balance in Lightroom Such with later? Such a good
0: question. Such a good question, because you could do it either way. You, yeah. You could absolutely take the photo of the gray card and then go through the menus and have it use that photo for the white balance, setting the white balance from that point on and, and as you're going, Or especially if you're shooting raw, when you go on the computer, that gray card image can be part of what you import into say Lightroom. And then you can just use the eyedropper in Lightroom to go and pick that gray and it will set the white balance. And then you can just copy that white balance over to the rest of the images and paste it. And it has exactly the same effect. There's no difference between those two. Um, if you're shooting JPEG, There's still a lot of room to be able to change white balance in JPEG. It's not completely out of the question, but you have a little less room. It's not as effective.
1: I definitely sit on the side of if somebody is shooting JPEG you should try your best to get as close right. as you can in camera at the time, because while there is some latitude there to to pull everything back, you don't want to rely on that and realize, ooh, I I was a little overconfident in my ability <laughs> right. to recover
0: this. Right, right. Yeah, so side, it's yeah. it's a little bit more limited. Um, yeah. So so that it you could do either if you're shooting raw, if you're shooting JPEG, you you really need to go through the menu options to make sure you use that gray card image that you took. So that it's applied to the JPEGs that you're shooting from that point, point. and then remember, if the lighting changes for whatever reason, if there's you're changing like uh, you you moved locations so it has different lighting, or the day like you started at a before golden hour and it's moved to golden hour and it's going into blue hour, then you've got to redo this. It's it's something yeah. to to remember and think about as you're going through the shoot. To, to make that work. Okay, so gray card we talked about. That's that's um, a method to use it. Uh, Expo disc. So this is a specific thing. There's probably some. This is a, a brand specific product, Expo disc. But people, it's it's sort of like Post-it notes. You know how that's a brand specific thing. <laughs> Everyone just calls this thing the Expo disc, even though there are other. Manufacturers that have other products not named Expo disc that do the same thing, but this is the most popular one for sure um and an expo disc um Connor tell me what you know about the expo disc
1: so and as far as i know i've I've actually only played with an expo disc once or twice before, but an expo disc is something that is essentially just a, a a crazy Gaussian blur that you have in camera that is a filter that light passes through. So you get a good average of your lighting that you can just hold this up to to your lens, get an average of your lighting and set your custom white balance in camera from that rather than off of a gray card that is uh, bouncing off of other
0: things. Right. Okay. So to break it down just a tiny bit more technically, (laughs) <laughs> what, it's, what it's doing is it's it is very specially manufactured to break down all of the light and make it so that like you're seeing you you don't shoot through this thing for anything like you don't shoot through it for uh, for you don't put it on your camera and leave it on for sure it's intended to be you you put it on you take a shot and then um, it breaks up all the light so that what what your camera gets when it does that shot. Is essentially a full screen gray card. It it breaks it all yeah. up so that that's what ends up in your camera is a full screen gray card. Um, the and then you can do you you have to go from there to do the same thing we just talked about in the menus. You have to go into the camera and say you want to use that image you just shot with the Expo disc on the camera to set your your custom white balance value. Um, there's a big difference between the two, the gray card and the expo disc then. And that's again, that incident versus reflective light. If you're interested, go search for that. There's tons of resources about it, about what that is. But, you know, um,
1: you, you said you don't want to get into the technical side of it, but I feel like for this conversation, we should give a very brief description <laughs> okay. of the difference.
0: Okay. It, it's really, it sounds terrible, right? When you say incident versus reflective light, people are like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, too technical. <laughs> but but it's, it's really not that hard to understand other than remembering the words um, incident. Reflective is self-explanatory, but incident is like that. It doesn't really match, at least in my head, about what that is. Okay. So Reflective light's really simple. That's the light that is reflecting from your subject into your camera, and it measures it. That's how your light meter works. So if you've used a light meter to help you set exposure, you have used reflective light, and to, to do that, um, there are light meters that are incident light meters that work more like the gray card we just talked about, where you have to take the measurement of the light for the exposure at the model uh or out in the landscape scene or how w- that's it it works differently. Incident light then is the light that is illuminating your subject and you're measuring there where your subject is. So we talked about like the gray card having the model hold it that is now that's a method of establishing white balance using incident lighting because that's the light falling on your model versus if you use the expo disc because it's on your camera lens you are measuring white balance based on reflected light. And yeah. it, it it's not gonna be quite as accurate. Now, in most cases, it's probably equivalent. There's there's gonna be very little difference between the two. But it just like with exposure, and there are people who swear by incident light meters where they they take the measurement at the model rather than relying on what the camera says as being far more accurate. And so and white balance can have kind of the same effect here when you use incident versus reflective light so expo disc is reflective light and it's just like i talked about the gray card it's it can be not as effective it can be more challenging to get an accurate reading because the light you're getting from reflective It might be a little different than what's actually falling on the subject. So, okay, there you go. How's that as an explanation?
1: I I thought that was really good. (laughs) I I think the simplest way to put it down is reflective is it's bouncing off, where incident is it's a source. Right. So, if it's a light source, it's it's an incident reading. And an expo disc kind of averages both reflective and incident lighting, Uh where a gray card is just going to be reflective.
0: It's just going to be, inc- if you have the model hold it, then it's the, the, in- well, there
1: no. So if, if you're taking your white balance off of the light, so if you go stand where the model is picture, that's your incident. However, if you're taking the white balance off of the model, holding the gray card, that's a reflective source. So Expo disc, if you have lights in your scene, um, those are, are incident lights and Expo disc will average that as well as a part of your white balance.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So, um, (laughs) okay. We've gone through the method. Oh, the the last one, just to wrap this up on custom white balance, you have those two that can help you in order to actually make it work and apply to your images. There's kind of two steps. You have to take the photo and then you have to go in the menus and have tell the camera to set the white balance based on that photo. two steps. Um, the third one is like just after lots of experience, you can kinda tell like I know I need to set this the the white balance to a certain value and there's gonna be a place in your camera to just have that value. Well most cameras. I've actually seen some as I've talked as I've been teaching students I've I've had a student that had a camera old enough there was no way to set a just custom numeric Kelvin white balance value. So really so you may have cameras that don't allow that. But most do for for many years it's been that way. But this camera was really old. It was digital, but it was one of the you know, beginning digital cameras. So, um, so their, their white balance options were far more limited than I had anticipated. Okay. So, so there's your options. Now this is going to be where I think we're going to have the most interesting discussion. How <laughs> do we do white balance? Um, I, I kind of want to know Connor, how did you start out doing white balance How did it change over time and where are you now? So let's start with, how did you start out? Once you discovered there is this thing called white balance, how did you start trying to use it?
1: That's that's a really good question. So as I said, really uh, the first time that I can at least recall being very conscious of white balance and its needs was when I started using off camera flash. And the reason for that is that you can set your white balance based on a scene and have completely mismatched white balance from your flash. Sometimes that's okay Um, I don't mind my scene being a little bit warmer, a little bit more orange, as long as my skin tones on the subject are balanced properly. But if I were to set my white balance just based on the scene, uh, I would have very blue subject in that kind of a scenario. So I, I started by just paying attention to my flash, just I would constantly set my white balance to flash when I started doing this. And as time has progressed... I can't say that I entirely have changed okay. that. Um, so, so I still, I, for as much as I talk about flash, I shoot a lot of stuff that is still natural light. And I, if I'm doing something that is more natural light, I have a tendency to either pick a white balance preset, um, so you know, picking cloudy or whatever it might be, or I will just set it to auto white balance. So it's just a thing I don't have to think about mm-hmm. um, as as I'm going through. I, I recently got a new camera, uh-huh. and that camera has the ability to more easily change the Kelvin temperature of just with an extra slider, we'll say, an extra dial that I can move. And I've started going more and more towards that. Um, already, depending on the situation, if I was shooting video work where that – it matters a lot more that you have your white balance baked right. in as you're shooting it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would set comp- uh, custom white balances with a gray card, or I would set my Kelvin where I wanted it to be based on the scene. So it's something that's always in my mind. the The white balance presets tend to just kind of be an easy shorthand that work in most situations, um, but. I'm moving more and more towards adjusting the Kelvin temperature to exactly what I want. And I think here soon, I will probably be doing that for the majority of my shooting. Um, Since it's something that I don't have to go back out of a menu, back out, go into a menu, change. If it's a a dial that I can just adjust and have it be the way that I want it to be, I'm much more apt to to play with manual settings when it's an
0: easy fix, easy change like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what camera? Uh, it's the, the EOS R6. Okay, the R6, very cool. I'm jealous. That's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 quite pleased with it so far. Excellent. Um,
0: it
1: it especially compared to what I have been shooting, it feels like I am shooting in the future. <laughs> um, and and an interesting note from a white balance. I shot uh, a small socially distanced event recently, mm-hmm. and I was in a very warm scene, and. I had my auto white balance set to auto white balance. It was shooting that like there was literally a fire in the background. It was warm incandescent bulbs and I had on camera flash. And surprisingly enough, auto white balance was correcting for that blue flash compared to the warm scene and just warming everything up a little bit. So that's something where I was just mind blown at the advancements in an auto white balance technology. Um, but that's, that's besides the point. How do you white balance?
0: Jeff? (laughs) Okay. So I've gone through, um, a few phases. That's why I asked you the question of this. So when I first started into portraits, I knew of white balance. I'd mostly just shot with auto. I hadn't cared enough. I shot raw. So it was totally something I could change after. And I could usually arrive at a point I was, I was very happy with. I wasn't shooting portraits. It was more landscape scenes or something something like that. And um and it well it didn't become as big a deal, but I knew about it. I knew a little I just hadn't cared enough to do anything away from auto white balance. I hadn't had a reason to go yeah. custom. But when I was doing portraits, I was like, okay, this I need to up my game here. I need to make sure I can get those skin tones to be accurate and I I discovered after doing a couple of shoots, it was a lot harder <laughs> to make sure I got those skin tones accurate. <laughs> Um, just in post without worrying about it at all. Yeah, and so, so I I started on the gray card thing. That was it was very inexpensive. First, that was that was a big factor. Like buying one of these gray cards. I I bought a pop up target. It wasn't uh, the passport express. You know the the yeah. uh, what is that from? What's the brand of that? The,
1: my pa- I don't remember what it is. It's a passport yeah. color checker, but I don't remember the yeah. brand. Or anyway, a
0: dated color or something like that. But yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to, inv- those were way more money. So that wasn't what I, I was like, no, 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 this is, this is not worth spending a bunch of money on. So uh, a gray card was really cheap, really inexpensive to get it. And it's pop up. It was super transportable. So I started doing that. And at first, like I said, I was just sticking it up in front of my camera and taking a picture. And I was, it was, it was awful. lot. It was really not super helpful. So yeah. then I, I changed that. It was like, as I learned more and was reading about it, I was like, oh, it needs to be with the model. They need to hold it. So started doing <laughs> that. And that works great. It, it was okay. Um, I went away from it for one major reason. And that is, it takes a lot of time in your shoot to interrupt your shoot with that. Especially yeah, because...
1: regularly white balance. Yeah, like yeah.
0: I, I shoot families a lot. And I shoot them in locations. We're, we're outdoors almost always. There's, It's very rare. Even though I have a makeshift kind of studio thing where I can set up a backdrop and take photos, nobody really is interested in those. Um, they're in, they want to be outdoors. Maybe it's Utah. Maybe, I don't know, because we have a lot of uh, natural beauty things around us that they... Why it's that way? I don't know if it's that way everywhere. But my clients, they definitely prefer outdoors by a lot. And so... Um, so it was becoming challenging as we would go from like location to location and usually every time we we just you know we're staying in the general area but we're walking around and taking pictures at different places and the light the light would change plus i like to le- i like to meet my clients a little bit before Dusk, a little bit before golden hour, so we we definitely work into golden hour and then sometimes out of golden hour into the blue hour, and that's the lights definitely changing all the way. So it was becoming very painful and taking too much time for me to always be like, okay, well now you got to hold the gray card again, I got to take a picture, and I got to go <laughs> in the menu and I got to use the picture and. It was just and it was disrupting like the creativity options. I was it was getting into way m- too much technical stuff that the clients don't care about. And is, they, they find it burdensome. And yeah. um, and and the benefits were not so different that it was it, be, it was worth it. I was like, why am I doing this? This is crazy. So I'm I'm not saying if you're using a gray card, you're doing it wrong. I just found it to be extremely disruptive. For everyone and, involved,
1: I, I think it really it depends on what you're trying to shoot. Sure. Because I, I also do some like tabletop product photography oh, yeah. where color is super important, and I will take the time to white balance consistently, even though everything is strobed. Um, I don't have super high end uh, strobes that stay completely color consistent, so I'll I'll color balance from time to time. With a portrait session. I know that already I'm going to creatively change the white balance to be a bit warmer than right. neutral one way or right. the other. That's that's my eye, my preference, the way that I like to edit. So I don't really concern myself a ton about making sure that my white balance is perfect so much as I just want to get it close-ish so I'm not way, way off where they're blue or <laughs> like right. practically red. I want to be somewhere in the middle, but I'm not I, I, I agree with you, especially in portrait sessions. It can just take way too much time for something that especially when shooting raw, it's so flexible and easy to change after the fact. I'm not horribly concerned with it in the moment.
0: Yep. Yep. So that, that's where I was now. So then you might think, well, then auto white balance, isn't that where you should go? Here's my problem with auto white balance and, and why I I don't think it's the best option for for shooting portraits, but you know, everyone can disagree. It's fine. You know, I have <laughs> your own opinion. I value the consistency between shots more yeah. than the accuracy of the white balance. I can do so much in post. Like you said, I really don't like the technically perfect white balance anyway. I like to warm it up. Uh, um, you almost always when I'm shooting with the, the portraits. And so I, I value the, my ability to, to do that in post, um, way more than the effort it takes. Well, or the the lack of consistency, that's, that's what it is with auto white balance. I don't want the camera to be changing its mind every time I press the shutter button and have, uh, you know, 30 photos that I need to go through that all have a different white balance, even though we didn't change location. We changed, you know, they changed (laughs) poses, they changed smiles and stuff, but they're all the same. I mean, sorry, they're all different. I want them all to be exactly the same. Then I can in post, it, it needs to be close though, just they need to be the same. That is the most important thing to me, especially with portraits. And then in post, I can change it and copy it and paste it to all the others and it's done. I don't have to worry about, oh, the camera decided on the third one to be, <laughs> to be different and I got to go redo what, what I, you know, try to make it so the white balance looks the same between all those photos. So, so that's just, you know, how I like to see it and do it. Um, And so I actually use the white balance presets. That's my go-to thing. I'll, I'll do it according to, you know, the shooting environment I'm in. If I'm, if there's, if it's overcast, I'll do the shadows. If it's flash, I've got that. I'll set it to the flash. It gets close enough. Uh, close enough that I'm even fine in showing the pictures that I'm taking to my clients which is part of the the thing that I love doing is showing them the photos while we're taking it especially yeah. mom who cares most about what these look like and make sure that they're getting <laughs> what she wants um, if your white balance is totally off you might be like yeah I can't show you this because it's like blue or you're orange or, <laughs> or well, something like I, that I've
1: definitely been there before where I was doing that but giving the caveats of like just just keep in mind please <laughs> <You know? laughs> Right. This is n- you look really blue and sickly and that's not how this is going to look (laughs) after
0: everything yeah they're like oh for your sake i hope so because i'm gonna ask for a refund if i'm a smurf it's not good (laughs) uh yeah so so that's my own preference i prefer consistency over uh whatever it might do because of the changing light and and reacting to it and then if the lights changed quite a bit i'll manually change whichever balance, white balance preset I was on to the one that's appropriate for the shooting and how the light has changed and still with it in post. Um, okay. So, so expo disc versus gray card. Uh, I see the expo disc as both more expensive than the gray card and even more disruptive than the gray card as far as the portrait shoots go. Cause it's a thing you have to screw on the front of your lens. So it's not like yeah. my, my little pop-up target. I literally like, you know, pull it out it pops up in less than a second, hand it to the model, take a picture, get in the menu and do it. That The whole thing can only be 10, 15 seconds at the most. It's 15 seconds. I still don't want to waste in the shoot and, and disrupt things but or have to, to continually be worried about. Uh, but the Expo Disc is going to take longer than that. It's going to take longer for me to screw that onto the front of the lens. Um, and, and it's just adding a lot more time and adding a lot more expense. So I personally don't think it's worth the investment, but photographers can make their own decision. <laughs> yeah, I I could see it
1: being a worthwhile investment for somebody that was planning to shoot a lot of video. Sure. For a photographer, I just, I don't see it being super useful. Uh, I, I mean, yes, it'll give you a, probably a pretty precise white balance, but it, I was looking up on online and they're starting at around $50 for a thing that you could pretty easily just eyeball on your own and i understand that you know if if you're earlier on in this you might not be able to eyeball things perfectly but those white balance presets are pretty darn good and it's not too hard to look around and say okay all of these light bulbs around me in inside are very orange in tone so i'm gonna set it to the light bulb setting inside and and go that way and get pretty darn close. To me, I think that an expo disc is really just an expense that doesn't need to be made. I I agree with you there.
0: Right. So, you know, if photographers can make up their mind. If you think that there's going to be massive value for you, uh, you know, maybe like you talked about, maybe you got more of a commercial shoot or a product shoot. Maybe there's more value to you in that. And if you're doing that kind of work, a 50 bucks is no big deal. So you, yeah, you, you know, it's part of the, uh, the initial investment you need to make in your equipment. And and then it it should last a very, very long time. And you might find more value in that. I just, I don't do a lot of that work. And so it doesn't make it worth it for me to, to do that, to invest in this for that. And I, I definitely will not do it for portraits. I'm not going to do gray card for portraits. It's just, too yeah, disruptive. I, for my I'm right
1: growth. there with you. Like going going through our three major types, I see situations in my work where I will use I, weddings. I'd prefer to use an auto white balance, and because I'm just moving so quickly and trying to pay attention right. to so many different things, I don't want to have to think about white balance as well. Right. As I said, that's starting to change with this new camera. But in general, it's it's pretty easy to take care of something like that, where a a portrait session, I don't want to have to worry about messing around with everything, but I also have the time to just set a white balance and know that I'm going to be in a particular setting for the entire session. Whereas if I'm shooting a real estate video, I want to use a gray card and use a custom white balance and I could see an expo disc being useful, but I'm going to do one of those. But yeah, I, I think that all of these are have valid uses, and there's not really a wrong way oh, to do no. this, unless it is ruining your photos. <laughs> right. If you're shooting JPEG and you're you you completely get your white balance off, that's that's pretty much the only time that you could really ruin a photo. Um, and I I think that while this is an important conversation, an important thing to to know what you're doing with, um, it's also one that is less vital than some of the other things that yeah. we can get wrong.
0: Sure. Yep. Yeah. It, far more fixable in post, and one of the rare cases where it does. It's, if you're shooting raw, it doesn't matter as much if you get it wrong in camera. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so with that, and I, I like that point. It's a lot of the discussions we have. We talk about what we prefer. That doesn't mean that if you prefer another option, it, that we're saying that's wrong and you should yeah. never use that. Uh, just, you know, my, I think it's helpful to talk about our own experience, why we prefer something one way or another, which I I think we've done in this episode so that we can explain our own preference. But if you like the expo desk and you've been using it and it's great, awesome. Keep using it. What matters is you're getting the results you want. That's, that's what we're all after. Make sure if we're getting high quality images that we're very proud of and, and, um, Happy that we're producing. If you're happy with the results, then keep it up. There's no reason to change something if you're happy with the results. If you're struggling totally. with something, then it might be worth investigating some of the other options and see how, what you prefer. I've tried all of them. Well, I didn't try the Expo Disc, but I tried the gray card. I've done white bounce preset. I've done auto white bounce. I've even uh, an example where I did actually need the gray card. And then I just know that I what I need to set it to when I shoot high school basketball. Um, yeah, the, I'm in a gym that has horrible lighting. It's just <laughs> awful, and uh, and I struggled to find the preset to use, or or auto white balance was all over the place. It it was really awful, and so I did one one of the times just before the game. I I had uh, one of the basketball players that I was I had him hold the gray card for a second, shot it. And then uh, when I was in Lightroom later, I was like, okay, what is the perfect white balance Kelvin number? And then I got it. And uh, I still usually add a little bit of, uh, actually, I think I add a little blue. I go a little bit towards the blue because it still oh, really? looks too yellow in that gym, just with the lighting and how it is. But Is it like
1: a wood floor
0: It's there? It is definitely wood floor, but it, I don't even know what type of lighting is. And it's it's like... Um the lighting is not set up for direct it's set up so that it points up to the ceiling and bounces off the ceiling down to the ground. And oh interesting. I, I don't know what kind of tubes it it's it's just weird lighting and it was such a struggle. So the gray card absolutely helped me in that scenario. I was glad I had it for that one event and then I just know what it is and I dial in the the kelvins every time I go yeah. shoot there. Yeah.
1: That that totally made me think of a situation in which I would definitely advocate for a gray card. And that's situations where you have fluorescent lighting. Um, yes, there's a fluorescent lighting
0: Re- uh, reset
1: setting in your white balance, but fluorescent bulbs can kind of vary from right. greenish to pinkish. That's the other one of your color sliders that you have there. And a gray card can be really useful in a situation like that, where I'm shooting with a lot of fluorescent lights around um, to get a good average because that's one where you'll have a bunch of the exact same bulb lighting a place, and yet from bulb to bulb, they change a bit. Right. And and having a gray card for a situation like that is really great. So as you said, they're pretty affordable, yeah. and it's something that I would definitely recommend, even if you don't plan on using this all the time. It's a nice tool to have for a pretty inexpensive
0: investment exactly especially this little pop-up target super inexpensive and it's it folds up so much so little it it doesn't take any room in your bag and so it's it's nice to have it and then if for some reason you decide i really kind of need that right now you have it and you can use it yeah yeah totally yep love it all right let's get to the doodads of the week uh connor what do you have So
1: my doodad is something that I have previously kind of railed against. (laughs) Um, It is a K and F 82 millimeter variable ND filter. This is a pretty cheap variable ND. I think I spent about $35 on it, and it would be terrible for a person that's looking to be a landscape photographer that wants to stop everything down six stops. You'll get that X across your image that happens when you have variable NDs because essentially a variable ND is just two polarized filters, which means that they filter out all light except for ones that are going at a particular angle, and they can cross-filter out until they're at 90 degrees from each other and filter everything out. I find these really useful for portrait shoots, though, because there are times when I want to use strobes and shoot wide open, and I can't do that with the settings that I need for strobes with the max sync speed that I have. I can't make my my shutter go any faster done, faster, otherwise I will cut out the, the strobe mm-hmm. and I can't lower my ISO and it's wide open. So having a variable ND, I have I in the past have used non-variable um, ND filters that were just a, a three stop and a six stop that I love. They're fantastic, but there are some times where I'm kind of in between those things and it's not great. So for portraits, I bought this and I've been very, pleasantly surprised especially for a $35 filter um, that this has worked so well for
0: me i'm glad to hear that cuz i would have thought under normal circumstances would be like yeah don't don't waste your money on a $35 filter <laughs> you need to buy more expensive glass than that To to not impact the image quality. But if you're getting good results, that's a fabulous uh, recommendation for people. Yeah,
1: I'm usually pretty skeptical as well, but I figured, oh, let's give it a try, see how horrible it is. And it's been surprisingly great so far. Uh, Again, I'm not using it for landscape or anything where I'm really stopping down a bunch. It's kind of for situations where i'm under three stops or between three and six um that that i tend to use this over my other nd filters but yeah i've been i've been pleasantly surprised
0: i do have to say uh i have a few things from knf that's the one that we're recommending here is the knf concept variable nd and everything i've bought from knf it's been inexpensive and good good quality yeah so I have, I have a tripod. I think I have a monopod. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I didn't even know they had filters, but yeah. So, so there's a, a potential brand. If you're in the beginning of this, you want to save yourself some money. It, it seems like this might be a good brand to, to take a chance on. Yeah, there's still the chance that you'll end up with garbage when, you, when you're on the low end, but, <laughs> Definitely. so. <laughs> but that's, I'm really glad to hear that. Also want to advise if you're going to buy one of these, get the 82 millimeter size and then buy adapters. Adapters can be super cheap. I bet KNF yeah. has adapters too. To and be then clear,
1: 82 millimeters being the diameter uh, or yeah, it's diameter, yep. right? Not the circumference. Yeah. I, either way. Um, a larger filter that you can then use adapter rings and screw down on, on smaller ones. That's about as big as you can find a filter made. And that way you can use them for every lens that you have instead of just the one that
0: you buy it for. Yep. So save yourself some money there and no problem at all with like inexpensive rings, (laughs) step down rings. That that's just fine. Okay. My dude out of the week. Um, I have been doing a ton of testing of autofocus micro adjust, which you don't need so much now, Connor. You're in the mirrorless world. You don't have to worry about this as much. Although I've seen some say, and I think some of the Sony cameras offer this now, that over time, the mechanical pieces that move in the lens can get kind of uh, worn enough that the what the camera set tells the lens to move to for focus can end up being off a little, and so they are offering some some micro focus adjustments to compensate for that, so that you can get the the focus uh, to be perfect again. But in the mirrorless world, this is far less needed, far far less needed to autofocus micro adjust your. Your focus in DSLRs there's a separate focus point that's used when you use the viewfinder than the sensor. And if if things aren't calibrated with your lens that the specific lens you're using to your specific camera that you're using, it's not like you can say I need a focus adjust micro focus adjust for this Tamron lens and then every Tamron lens you'll put on, it works. No, it's that specific lens to that specific camera with your, your focus sensor needs to all be calibrated. So they're all in alignment to make sure that that you get good focus all the time. So I've been doing tons and tons of testing. It's taking way longer than I expected because I've, I've I've run into some interesting things that I'll, I'll be sharing eventually on photo taco was hoping to get it this month. and, And anyway, one of the things I found, um, because I am using and doing a deep dive into the Focal software from Rikon, not my pick yet. Um, I've been having major connectivity problems with my Canon ADD and the Focal software. It is, it was extremely intermittent and had like failures as it was running tests. The the software automates this kind of thing and super cool software um, I was down on it initially. They've got a newer release that is is a lot better, but this connectivity problem has been an issue. And uh, working with support, they, uh, they've been able to say, well, maybe it's your cable. So I went through 15 different mini USB cables that I had in the house. That's the connection type that you have to use for the Canon ADD. All of them had, the, you know, didn't matter the cable. All of them had the same problem. And so... <laughs> So, yeah, it would, you know, sometimes it would take, uh, it would get all the way through a test without a problem. Sometimes it would fail and lose connection to the camera in, uh, on the second shot that it was taking, that it has to do for, for automating this process. So uh, I was super frustrating. I spent, so I, I used all the cables I had in the house and then I went and I spent, I bought every cable on Amazon that said it was made for Canon DSLRs so that I could try those out and see if that changed anything. And none of them did until the last one that I <laughs> that I bought. And I, I couldn't buy it from Canon. It's all back ordered. They don't you, you can't get it. So and and they didn't send one with the camera, with the Canon ADV. They didn't include that in the box. So um anyway, one of the things I have found was extension cables, which I kinda need because most of these cables are really short. They're either six inches or maybe a foot. And yep. uh, uh, tethering your computer to the camera with that tiny cable <laughs> is a problem. And if you use a generic, like I had some USB 3.0 extension cables around too, some of them came with like monitors and whatever stuff I've bought that I, I didn't even need. And uh, so I tried those. They didn't, they may have contributed to the connectivity failures with uh, the camera. So what I found, something that has, improves the reliability is the one cable that that works for my specific camera is, improves it. But now I can actually extend the cable using this. It's a Cable Matters Active USB Extension Cable. And I'm going to say it here because, you know, the, the cable I use for my Canon 80D. it's not, it's super specific to my camera. Um, I think there's other cameras that may have a similar mini USB connection type, but this cable is going to extend any of those cables. So we'll if you have the camera the cable that came with your camera, that's the one you should use. And then if you need an extension, this is the extension you should buy to improve the reliability of the connection between the computer and a camera and just make that not be a problem. It's uh thirteen bucks for five meters, sixteen bucks for ten meters, and uh works really well. It has improved the reliability a lot to uh to tether my camera. So that's my deal. That's great.
1: Hauling. Yeah, and, and- a great price for an yeah, extension no kidding, cable, right? too. We both kept, awesome. it,
0: kept it down a little on the costs this time. That's <laughs> yeah. good. All right. Perfect. So uh, I want to remind you, masterphotographypodcast.com is where you'll find the show notes and be able to get all the links and and see the, the stuff we've talked about. And if you can't remember the discussion we've had, you're kind of new to white balance, then go check out the show notes. That'll really help you to be able to do that. You can go join our Facebook group. That's Master Photography Podcast. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just search for Master Photography Podcast. And you do have to ask to join that group. We want to keep the bots and the spammers out of it as much as we can. We only really want listeners in there. So you got to answer a question about naming a host on the show, which Jeff or Connor will work. That's all you have to do. It's really simple. And I see tons of requests to join the group that don't answer the question. So if you don't answer, we assume you're not a listener and you're not getting in. Um, and then you can go in there and we we'll, we have a post in the Facebook group for every episode release. And you can tell us how wrong we are about what auto white balance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, you can find my work over at jsharmonphotos.com. Check out Photo Taco Podcast. That's where I'm going to release all of this I found about Autofocus Micro Adjust and the Focal software and what I've been working on as soon as I finally get it done, which is just, I, it's been amazing. It's going to be worth the wait, but it's taken me, I've probably taken 5,000 shots using the software to and, and manually doing it over the last three weeks. Uh, because I, it, it's been interesting to, to, uh, for what I found. Okay. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are also there for me. Connor, where can people find you?
1: Um, you can find me on Facebook at just search Connor H photo, um, or on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Connor Hibbs photography.
0: Excellent. Okay. So that is it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we lo- we're so-, so appreciate all of you listeners. Uh, we wouldn't do- couldn't do the show if you didn't keep listening. <laughs> Definitely. Lo- love to have you share the show too. Uh, increase that subscriber count. The more we have listening, uh, the easier it is for us to continue doing this. And that-, that would be really helpful. If you find value in it, share it. Uh, and we'll see you all again in another seven days. Bye, guys.